our great God, that you dwell in unapproachable light. You are the I am that I am, without beginning, without end, perfect in every respect, glorious in your being, holy is all of your perfections. This, you are the true God. As you have said, I am God, there is none besides me. So we praise you. We thank you that you did not leave us in spiritual darkness. You revealed to your prophets and apostles your words. You divinely breathed out, as it were, the scriptures, using these men as means to convey your truth without error, infallible, incapable of being in error because how can the living God ever commit an error? So we magnify your name. Open your scriptures tonight by the power of the Holy Spirit, the true teacher we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. We are in John 6, and we're going to read verses 48 through 65. John 6, 48 through 65. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread which comes down out of heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down out of heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread also which I give for the life of the world is my flesh. The Jews therefore began to argue with one another saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? Jesus therefore said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in yourselves. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so he who eats me, he also shall live because of me. This is the bread which came down out of heaven, not as the fathers ate and died. He who eats this bread shall live forever. These things he said in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. Many, therefore, of his disciples, when they heard this, said, This is a difficult statement. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, conscious that his disciples grumbled at this, said to them, Does this cause you to stumble? What then if you should behold the Son of Man ascending where he was before. It is the spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words I have spoken to you are spirit and are life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were who did not believe 
and who it was that would betray him. And he was saying, for this reason I have said to you that no one can come to me unless it has been granted to him from the Father. Now we have noted several times as we have progressed through the book of John that the theme of the book of John is seen in John 20, verses 30 and 31, where John says, many signs Jesus did in the presence of his disciples in order that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you might have eternal life. Now we saw in verse 28 of chapter 6 that Jesus is rebuking those whom he fed when he fed the 5,000 men and then added with women and children. And he said to them, "You," he says, you followed me not because of the signs, but simply because I fed you physical food. Now I gave you a sign, but that's not why you're following me. Now remember the signs, according to John, is to demonstrate what? Jesus is the promised Messiah. That is the purpose of the sign. A miracle to create a sense of awe. This is an extraordinary individual. Awe to listen to him. Jesus said to this group that was struggling with this, that were following him because he fed them, he said they got to work for the food that doesn't perish. And they need to work for the food that he uh, endures to eternal life. And so they said, well, what, we're willing to do that. Tell us what is the work that we got to do so that we can follow you. And in Jesus, in verse 29, said, well, here's the work of God. You want to know what the work of God is? Believe in him who the Father has sent. That is the work of God. You know, over in 1 John 3, uh, verse 23, of course, John is the author of the epistles as well. We find this verse. It says, and this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he commanded. The The foremost commandment of God is to obey the gospel. In fact, uh, we're told the Apostle Paul in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 7 and 9, he says, And when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, dealing out retribution to those who do not obey the gospel of the Lord Jesus, and these will pay the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and the glory of his power. The foremost commandment of God is to obey the gospel message. So in, verse, in, in John chapter 6, verse 30, they're asking Jesus, okay, give us a sign that we might believe. And it, it's as if Jesus could have said, what do you think I did when I fed the 5,000? You saw that that was a miracle. You saw I fed this huge crowd 
with five loaves of bread and two fish. You, you even said that I have to be a prophet that was promised to do something in this, and you wanted to force me to, be a, to come and be a king over you because you saw this. So you saw a sign that you really didn't see because if you really saw, you wouldn't be grumbling like you are. So the crowd says, well, you know, Moses fed us manna from heaven. But Jesus says, well, not really. My father is what who gave you uh, the manna from heaven. And he says, my father is the one who gives present tense. So my father is giving you the true bread out of heaven that gives life. And so that crowd says, well, then give us this bread. And in verse 35 of John 6, we saw that Jesus plainly said, well, I am that bread of life. And he who comes to me shall never hunger and shall never thirst. And he who believes in me will never thirst. So Jesus is saying to them again, you have seen me but you're not believing in me. Why? So in other words, I gave you a sign that told you by the sign I was the Messiah. So why aren't you believing me? How come you're not fully trusting me? Why are you grumbling? Now we got to remember that Jesus is the God man. Jesus being God is omni, is omniscient. He knows what people are thinking. We're told that in the scriptures. And we're told in the scriptures, he knows what's in the hearts of men. And he knows, uh, they didn't necessarily openly grumble, but he knew that they were grumbling. And he, uh, he knew that they were not really believing in him. This is why he says in verse 37 that we looked at, all that the Father gives me will come to me, and all that come to me I will certainly not cast out. Now we noted last week that that phrase, all that the Father gives me, who are they? The elect. The elect. Remember, I mentioned Acts 13, 48. A very short verse, but very powerful. All that were ordained to eternal life, believe. Right there, you have divine sovereignty and human responsibility together. Distinct, but together. But you gotta, you can't come unless you're drawn. But if you don't come, it's your fault for not coming. That's what Jesus says. So Jesus said, all that the Father gives me, I lose none. I, he says, I will raise it up on the last day. We know we talked about the last day. The last day is the last day of human history as we know it. It is the day of his coming at the end of the world. We looked at several passages that taught that, 1 Corinthians 15, 
mainly at his coming, then that is the day of resurrection. That is the day of judgment. Those are all coterminous. They all happen at the same day. That is the last day of history as we know it on planet earth. After that day, there will be judgment and those who are of God, the elect, whom, who believed in Jesus, they will go into everlasting life. All those who were not will be sent into everlasting de- destruction. And then we'll go into the eternal state. Now here what we're, we see taught by the Lord Jesus here in John chapter six are two of the great doctrines of the reformed faith. One, the doctrine of irresistible grace or that we call effectual calling. Effectual means powerful. Remember Jesus says, you can't come to me unless the Father draws you. Now some have said that, well, the word is, that word draw is used sometimes in the scripture to mean dragged. Now, it's not dragged against your will. That's not the meaning. But it is a powerful dragging. That's why uh, in Reformed theology, it's called irresistible grace. If God draws you, if the Spirit draws you, he is, as it were, dragging you to Jesus. And guess what? You will want to believe. If you've been drawn by the Spirit, you will want to believe. And then not only is that great doctrine taught, it's taught the doctrine, the great Reformed doctrine of the perseverance of the saints. Jesus, now what did Jesus say? If the Father is giving me some to me, how many does I, how many do I lose? None. Can they, I've had some say, well, he won't lose you, but you can, you can choose to lose yourself. I had someone tell me that. And I said, you want to show me that in the scriptures? Show me a passage where it says, I can choose of myself, as it were, um, to take my hand out of the hand of Jesus. Now, of course, not as, as, as Jess has been preaching, not everybody who professes the Lord Jesus is genuinely saved. But if you're genuinely saved, you will persevere to the end. Now, Philippians 1.6 is a great passage where it talks about that all that the Father gives me, I mean, uh, turn to Philippians 1.6. This corresponds exactly with what Jesus said. I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. Will perfect it. Now, the day of Christ Jesus is another term of the last day, or the day of his coming. So it's not a maybe, he will perfect. That's why we talked about last week, talked about the golden chain of the Ordo Salutis, from predestination and election to glorification. 
a seamless chain that will not be broken. Now we learn from we learn from John 6:41 that the Jews were grumbling because Jesus says, "I'm the bread of life that's come down from heaven." Now, do you remember why they were grumbling? They were grumbling because Now wait a minute. You said I I meaning you Jesus You've said you've come down from heaven. Now, hold on. We know your family. We know who your father and your mother is. We know your brothers and sisters, and we may have even known you when you're growing up. So what do you mean? You're from heaven. (laughs) You were born, and your family. So it is way over their heads. They cannot comprehend this at all. Now, Jesus, in verse 44, responds to them by saying, well, again, he says, unless the Father draws you, um, none can come to me. And again, I will raise you up on the last day. So you know what? In this regard, IQ has nothing to do with it. Um, it doesn't. I have known several very bright people. Someone maybe could be a genius. Quite amazing. And yet, of these people that I'm thinking of, can't understand some, cannot understand some fundamental Christian truths. They have a great IQ, but it's going over their head. Now, why is that? Because we saw in Scripture, how is truth revealed in the Bible? It's revealed to us by the Father, just like he said to Peter. I've told you, Peter, the reason you you know that I have come from the Father, that I'm the Messiah, because my Father revealed that to you. And in fact, in our text... Jesus says that these things, that those who are learned of God are taught of God. So we have to be taught of God. And we have to have biblical truth revealed to us. In other words, one must hear with spiritual ears. You know, that's why Jesus said, when he would preach to them, he says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. So the key is, do you have ears to hear? Turn over with me to Romans chapter 10. Romans 10. And we'll begin at verse 13 through verse 17. Here's another interplay of divine sovereignty and human responsibility. Verse 13, whoever will call upon the name of the Lord Jesus will be saved. How then shall they call upon him in whom they have not believed? 
how shall they believe in him whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? Just as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring glad tidings of good things. However, they did not all heed the glad tidings. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? So faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. If you and I are going to believe in Jesus, if we're going to call on Jesus, you got to hear Jesus preach to you. No ifs, ands, or buts. You got to hear Jesus preach to you. And guess how does Jesus usually preach to people? Through a preacher who brings the gospel. By the way, that's why the, the gospel is called the good news. And the reason I, he quotes Isaiah says, some of you don't believe. Well, the reason why you're not believing is because you're not able to hear. That's why you can't hear. Turn over to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 4 through 6. Now, these are key passages. Now, remember, we were talking about election, and we've been talking about irresistible grace or effectual calling. Look at 1 Thessalonians 1, 4 through 6 to begin with. Knowing, brother, beloved by God, his choice of you. Now, that's election, his choice of you. God's choice of you, Thessalonians. For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction, just as you know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. Now turn over to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, look at verse 13. And for this reason, we also thank God that when you received from us the word of God's message, you accepted it not as the word of men, but for what it really is, the word of God, which also performs its work in you. So if God is causing you well, if God has elected you, then he has sent his spirit to draw you and give you conviction that when you hear a preacher who is preaching the word of God, you automatically know in your heart that's the word of God. Now, how did you know that was the word of God? Because the Holy Spirit told you it was the word of God. That's how you knew. That's why some people who before, who have heard messages, it hasn't phased them at all. But then at some point they hear it and all of a sudden it clicks. Now why did it click? 
Because at that point, God brought them sovereignly and gave them ears of their heart to hear the preacher and they go, now I understand. Oh, Jesus really is the Messiah. I believe in him. What, what happened? What happened was God sovereignly by spirit worked. But you see, that's what Jesus has been saying all along here in John chapter six. So in, in, in John six forty seven, turning back to, to chapter six, Jesus says, he who believes has eternal life. And he says, I have come from the father. I have seen the father. And in verse 48, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Jesus said, now your fathers, meaning your forefathers in the wilderness, they ate the manna and guess what happened? They died. But the bread that I'm giving you, if you eat this bread that I'm giving you, you'll never die. So obviously he's talking about a bread. Wait, he's not talking about a physical bread now. He's talking about a spiritual bread. It's kind of obvious. And in verse 51, he says, not only am I the bread of life, I'm the living bread. All people that eat of my bread will never die. They will live forever. Now, Jesus said, I am that bread that came down from heaven. Now, I've told you in the past, remember the importance of Greek tenses? You got a present tense, which means ongoing action. And then you got an aorist tense, which is, in English, it's our somewhat our past tense. But what it means in, in Greek, it is, Point action, something has happened in space and time. Now, what point in space and time do you think Jesus was referring to when he says, I came down? What point in human history do you think he's referring to? Anybody got any conjectures? How about the incarnation. When the eternal son of God took upon himself true human flesh and was born of a virgin. He came down from heaven in real history and was born as a real man And just as we saw in John 1, verse 14, remember it says, and the word, we talked about the word was with God and the word was God and the word was in the beginning. The word created the the whole universe. Well, verse 14, it says, and the word was made flesh. The eternal word was made flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory. So now note in verse 51, John 6. Now this is an important term, how he's building his case. He says, I am that bread and that bread that I give you is my flesh. Right there he tells us, 
My flesh is the real bread that comes out of heaven. Now, here's the problem. The Jews, now we're talking about the Jews here. We're talking about, as we're going to see, some are called disciples of Jesus. You know the word disciple simply means a follower. That's what the word disciple means. And there were, as we will see, there were many followers, many disciples, and then there were the 12 who were disciples, but in a different sense. Some of those he was speaking to, he says, I get that, that bread is my flesh. Now these, these disciples, these Jews, they can't get beyond the crass literalism. They think Jesus is talking about, now the Jews were told not to touch, drink blood, right? And the idea of eating flesh, they think, what, you, you telling us to be cannibals? Is that what you're doing? You see, it, it's going right over the head. They can't get beyond this physical aspect. They can't see the spiritual. Now, in verse 53, Jesus says, unless you eat my flesh and you drink my blood, you have no life in you. You got to eat my flesh and drink my blood if you want eternal life. So, so when he talks about the bread that I give is my flesh, what, what, what is he talking about? Well, theologically, he's talking about what we would refer to in theological terms vicarious sacrifice for sins. Now, the word vicarious means a substitute. A, a vicarious sacrifice is someone dying in the place vicariously or as a substitute for another. In other words, one suffers for another so that the other doesn't have to suffer. So Jesus is saying, you better eat my flesh because my flesh is a sacrifice given for you so that you might have eternal life. We can also refer to this as vicarious or substitutionary atonement. Atonement meaning forgiveness of sins. Turn over to Hebrews 10. Hebrews 10 verses 13 through 17. Well, no, actually I, I want verses I want verses 7 through verses 7 through verse 13. Then I said, well, back up to verse six. In whole burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, thou hast taken no pleasure, meaning the sacrifices of the Old Testament. Then I said, behold, I have come in the, ro in the roll of the book. It is written of me to do thy will, O God. So this is from the Psalms, so it's a messianic psalm. After saying above sacrifices and offerings, 
and hold burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, thou hast not desire, nor hast thou not taken pleasure in them, which are offered according to the law. Then he said, Behold, I come to do thy will. He takes away the first in order to establish the second. By this will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest stands daily ministering and offering time after time the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But he, having offered one sacrifice for sins for all time, sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time onward until his enemies be made a footstool for his feet. For by one offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. My flesh is that sacrifice. And you better eat of my flesh or you will not have eternal life. You better participate in what I am doing and why I came down from the Father. Now, Jesus told them what it means to eat his flesh and blood. I mean, turn back to John 6. Look at verse 35. He told them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall not hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. Verse 40, this is the will of the Father that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in him has, shall have eternal life, and I will raise him up. So what does it mean to eat of his, of his flesh? It means to believe in him, in his atoning sacrifice. That is what he's telling them. And it's going right over some of their heads. You know, it means that, that one must accept Jesus as the crucified one. You've got, if you're going to be saved, you have to believe that Jesus actually died, real history, was crucified on a real cross, and he died to cover the sins of those whom the Father gave him. You've got to believe that. I want you to listen carefully to what I'm about to say. Every true gospel presentation at some point has to talk about Christ's substitutionary atonement. If, if you cannot say that you have shared the gospel with someone, say, well, I shared the gospel. Well, what did you say? Not parts. At some point, you have to talk about the substitutionary work of Jesus because we can't save ourselves, right? We have broken the law and we deserve eternal destruction. And no one arouses himself to take hold of, of God. No one, Isaiah says, calls on him. No one. 
And therefore, if I can't save myself, and by my good works, no man is, for by grace are you saved through faith, not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works that anybody should boast. It's mercy. And so at some point, let me ask you this. Where where are most people, let's just pick out the United States. What do most people in the United States believe how they get into heaven? By good works. They'll phrase it in different ways, but, but I've had them, almost everyone tell me, well, I hope I get there because I hope that I've done more good than bad. Well, that, that is typical. And how you solve that is, I got some bad news for you and I got some good news for you. The bad news is, if that's how you think you're gonna make it, you're never gonna make it. The good news is, there is someone who paid your penalty for your rebellion who was crucified in your place. So if you're going to make it, you've got to accept the one that the Father has provided. That's why 1 John 4.10 is so important. It says, herein is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. And remember, propitiation is the term that says, the satisfaction of divine justice by means of a bloody substitute. That's what propitiation is. Jesus has propitiated the sins of his of the elect whom the Father has given. And so This is why 2 Corinthians 5.21 says that that he made him, the Father made him, Jesus, he made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf that we might be made, become the righteousness of God. How did Jesus become sin if he was not a sinner, vicariously, as a substitute, that's how he did it. He died in our place. He paid the penalty that we should have paid. That's why Peter says, Christ also died for sins, the just for the unjust. That's why Peter goes on to say, it says, by By his wounds, you have been healed. That's why the the Apostle Paul talked about, I preach Christ crucified. I mean, the great 19th century preacher, Charles Spurgeon, in his lectures to his students, talked about the necessity you've got You've got to preach Jesus crucified. If you're going to preach the gospel, you've got to preach Jesus crucified. And that's why there is no real gospel presentation 
without substitutionary atonement. Now, we saw in, in, in John 6, 60, it says, some of his disciples found this difficult. Here's what they said. Who can, who can listen to this? Now, we're in our text. Look at John 6, um, verse 59. Where did Jesus, tell me in there, where did Jesus teach this, what we're uh, preaching on tonight? Where did Jesus teach his disciples that? Where? Where does it say? Synagogue, what synagogue? Capernaum. Now, I've mentioned this before. I want you to turn over to Luke 10. And look at verses 15 and 16. One of the most terrifying and stern teachings of Jesus right here. Look what he says, verse 15, Luke 10. And you, Capernaum, will not be exalted to heaven, will you? You will be brought down to hell. The one who listens to you listens to me. He's talking to his disciples now. And the one who rejects you rejects me. And he who rejects me rejects the one who sent me. So Jesus was teaching these things in the synagogue of Capernaum. And they were saying, Jesus, this is a difficult statement. Eat my flesh and drink my blood. Who can, who can accept this? Now, do you understand why Jesus says, Capernaum, you're going to end up in hell because I did my wonders. You know, Jesus did a lot of his miracles around Capernaum and in Capernaum. He performed signs in Capernaum and they still didn't believe. And therefore, that's why they're going to be punished. Now, we've already, I've already said that the word, uh, it said that many of the disciples, look, look at what it says. Um, Jesus in verse 61 says, does, does this cause you, does this cause you to stumble? That you got to eat my flesh and drink my blood? Is that offending you? Now remember in verse 62, remember these, these people are listening to Jesus. They're, they're troubled by the fact he says, I've come down from heaven. Remember, they say, we know your family. So what are you talking about? You came down from heaven. And how does Jesus respond to them? Look what he says. What then, verse 62, what then if you should believe, behold the son of man ascending where he was before? 
Now, he's talking about ascending. Well, what is an incarnation? A descending from heaven to earth. He says, what then, if you have seen this, what about the Son of Man ascending up to heaven? And so what we see here, Jesus says, well, this is simply teaching Jesus is the Son of God and he's also the Son of Man. You know, Jesus actually referred to himself as the Son of Man more times than he referred to himself as the Son of God. Stressing the fact he came down out of heaven, but then after he paid the one-time sacrifice for sins, was resurrected from the dead, ascended back from where he came. So what we see here, notice that uh, in verse 64, well, verse 63 It is the spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words I have spoken to you are spirit and are life. In John 3, what did Jesus tell Nicodemus he had to do to see the kingdom of God? Had to be born again and how did he say, how are you born again in John 3? Got to be born of the spirit and of water. Now, it's the spirit who gives life. It is the spirit who draws men to Jesus. Irresistibly. And he says, my words are life and my words are spirit produced. We looked at the Thessalonians passage, right? Those whom God has chosen, it says he brought them and they became convicted of that by the power of what? The spirit, the spirit. It's the spirit who draws It is the spirit who opens the ears. It is the spirit who gives life. It is the spirit who changes the stony heart to a heart of flesh. Without the ministry of the spirit, we are lost forever. And then Jesus says, has that offended you? If it has offended you, all that means is this. Look at verse Uh, 65, for this reason I have said to you that no one can come to me unless it has been granted him from the Father. Jesus says, I know some of you don't believe. And the reason you don't believe because you weren't drawn by the Spirit. You weren't given, the Father didn't choose you. Now again, 
See, we always got to counterbalance divine sovereignty with human responsibility. Whose fault is it if we end up in hell? Ours. You should have believed the signs. Why didn't you believe the sign that I'm the Messiah? Why didn't you believe I am the real bread? You're culpable. And that's why he says to Capernaum, Capernaum, you will be in the depths of hell because you didn't believe all the signs that I did in your presence. But then you weren't drawn. Next week we'll talk about who he did draw to himself and who did believe. Let's pray. Lord, we're dealing with some Mysterious things in some ways. But we understand that salvation is of you and you must draw us. But then at the same time you say, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked. Repent and believe. Lord, help us to be thankful as what was preached on this morning. And Lord, help us when we proclaim the gospel, we talk about how a person must eat the flesh and drink the blood of Jesus and what that means. Bless us now, we ask in Jesus' glorious name, amen.